Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the podcast from the new statesman that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week we're talking about the new Edgar Wright film, Baby Driver, and the Netflix feature film, Okja. We've also watched the BBC police drama Happy Valley for the first time, so we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. Now, I'm lucky enough to have the wonderful Caroline sat opposite me, but there has been a change at Seriously Towers, hasn't there? Yeah, so for people who follow me on Twitter avidly, this will not be new to you, but to everyone else in the world. (laughs) I have left my full-time job at the New Statesman, and I am now freelance. But do not worry, because I will still be on Seriously, and I'll still be doing other podcasty things. Yeah, but you're moving house, so there will be a change to seriously there will be so i currently live in london and as of august i will live in liverpool (laughs) so so this podcast is about to become a long distance relationship i know what are we gonna do i think it's gonna be fine i think we're gonna gloss over it i mean the hole in my heart will never fully be healed (laughs) but hopefully you won't be able to tell listening at home that anything has changed no we've done some tests and it sounds fine like Mm -hmm. we just yeah technologically we've got you know all the stuff it's all good we have mics on our side we do and yeah i think it's going to be fine and hopefully hopefully fingers crossed we will be a bit more regular with our release times we'll be a bit less prone to having to cancel an episode if major news goes down Mm, that we have to work on the magazine for so overall it should be a good thing and people who know liverpool Email Caroline your recommendations for cultural things in Liverpool. Yeah, definitely. So it was seriously the 100th episode last week, which was so exciting. And everyone has been very positive about our Harry Potter special, our second Harry Potter special, in fact. Which, incidentally, we had the best time doing. Oh my god, it was so fun. We got some great tweets from people being like, I can't believe that if you work at the New Statesman, you just get to hang out with your friends and talk about Harry Potter. (laughs) I was like, yeah, that's my life. That's literally what we do. That's my life. We are that lucky. And I just really loved doing that fan fiction bit. You missed out on that. It was was great. So good. If you haven't heard that or indeed any of it, you have to go back and find it. So we've had some emails from listeners to the Harry Potter special. You've got one there, I see, Caroline. 
So this is from Iona, who says, I loved your Harry Potter special take two so much. I'm a massive Harry Potter fan. I've got quite bad insomnia and listen to the audiobooks most nights to help me while away non-sleep time and stave off anxiety. Don't we all? Oh my God, relate, relate hard. And she says, I've met loads of other people who do the same. However, I've never really looked into the world of Harry Potter fanfic and your podcast made me realise what a gaping hole this leaves in my life. Could you recommend some great fanfic to check out as a starting place? Mm. This is a hard one, isn't it? We've had this question before on Seriously and it's quite a... It's quite a difficult one to answer. It is, because fan fiction is a very personal thing. So particularly with a universe like Harry Potter, which, I mean, it's in terms of fan fiction, it's vast. There are like millions of stories out there mm-hmm. in lots of different places. And depending on what you like, will depend on what you want to read. So I would say the best place to start is not with specific recommendations, but with websites you can go to to find things. So... The two I would recommend are Archive of Our Own, also known as AO3, and fanfiction.net. And both of those have quite good search tools, so you can search within the Harry Potter universe and filter it by, you know, I just want to read Harry Draco stories, or Mm. I just want to read Marauder Marauder stories, or I just want to read stories with Molly Weasley. And you can get quite specific as well. You can say, I want to read stories with uh, roughly this rating, so either mature or pg-13 that are less than five thousand words that involve remus lupin you know you can Mm. get really specific Mm. with what you want and then once you've browsed that you'll find some authors that you like you might then go and explore their profiles and see what else they've written and it'll all go from there like as you say it's a it's a deep hole you can fall down and i'm excited that you get to try this one recommendation though i would suggest of course that you start with stephen bush's work which is almost canonical (laughs) <laughs> in itself. at this point yes um oh and another place you can go actually i should say is our friend elizabeth minkle who we referenced her podcast fansplaining yes a couple of weeks ago she also runs a newsletter called the rec center it's very good which is very good which recommends lots of different fan fiction and fan fiction adjacent things and they've had several harry potter special ones haven't they so i'm sure they have an archive somewhere that you can look through don't they yeah they do so if you uh, if you go on her twitter just search elizabeth minkle um you'll find the link to sign up for that We've had another email from Eleanor who titles it wonderfully academically, The Problem with the Collective Female in Harry Potter. So Eleanor gets in touch to say that something that bothers her about the books is that we all know Rowling is a feminist, but this doesn't seem to extend to her presentation of girls plural in Harry Potter. Why is it that literally whenever there's a group of women, they're silly, hysterical, giggling or shrieking? For every Hermione and Ginny, there seem to be hordes of infantilised, derided extras. So she cites Cho Chang's friends who are, quote, a group of the silliest girls Harry had ever encountered. I do remember that. And then all the middle-aged witches who are reduced to jelly by Gilderoy Lockhart. And she says, I'm not denying this behaviour exists, but I think Rowling chooses to highlight and exaggerate it more than necessary. Well, I've never even thought of that before. I've never really examined that trope. But now she says it's there. I do see it. I agree. It's definitely there. And it's definitely less than ideal. When I was thinking about this, something I came up with is Maybe Rowling is emphasising the fact that we're seeing the wizarding world through the eyes of a teenage boy. A teenage boy. Mm. So just as in the special, we were discussing the Harry Cho romance and all the problems with that. The fact that Harry sees Cho's friends as the silliest girls ever or whatever Mm. is just an extension of that. Ditto, he encounters the fans of Gilderoy Lockhart in the second book when he's like 12 or 13. Mm. I don't know. My theory only holds out if you see less of this i think as he grows up yeah and i think you do i would i would guess but also i think 
like there's a kind of weird i don't get it mystery surrounding like groups of women to Mm. harry because he never really seems to interact with big groups of women and it's like as you say when he's talking to hermione about cho and he literally doesn't understand anything that's going through her mind he just seems to not understand what could be funny about a yule ball to a group of girls and obviously it's funny like it just is (laughs) yeah i remember there's a conversation between him and ron isn't there when they're both trying to ask people to the ball and one of them says to the other like how do you get one on their own to ask them they seem to move in packs (laughs) yeah and i get what she's saying that is kind of dehumanizing but it's I I also get it from Harry's perspective. But anyway, we could do a whole other Harry Potter special at this point, and we we should probably not. Before the Harry Potter special, there was episode 99, and on episode 99, (laughs) we discussed the Netflix series Glow. I was like, in a big, big house, there was a dark, dark box. <laughs> Once in the upon dark, a dark time. box. There was... Anyway, sorry. <laughs> and Joe writes in to say, I'm writing to thank you for your review of Glow. As a lifelong wrestling fan, I've discovered it's incredibly rare for the odd and wacky world of wrestling to ever be portrayed in a drama or comedy without making fun of it or insulting wrestling fans. Glow perfectly melds mainstream comedy and wrestling and is littered with Easter eggs for the hardcore wrestling fans. I'd highly recommend Max Landis's Wrestling Isn't Wrestling if you'd like to understand the appeal of wrestling a bit more and its melodramatic roots. It's a fun short watch and hopefully you'll get a few chuckles out of it. And he's put a link to it, which we will also tweet out from our Seriously Pod Twitter account if you want to see it. Oh, what a great email. In other seriously news, my God, isn't there a lot of it these days, Caroline? Um, we're we... expanding media empire, <laughs> what can we say? Yeah, clearly. <laughs> we have events coming up. They are all available to look at, seriouslypod.com slash events. But one in particular that we wanted to talk about is we're doing the Shout Out Festival in August. Yes, and this is a really exciting event. So it's organised by the Shout Out Podcast Network, which is a podcast network for BME podcasts. You know, it really celebrates diversity and promotes talent that maybe doesn't necessarily get a look in in more traditional places and they are running their very first festival there's going to be two stages we're going to be opening one stage we're going to be on early in the day going to be on early in the day i think it's quarter past midday and that's on the 5th of august at the jeffreys hall in london so we would really really like some support for this this is going to be our first ever live episode we've never done you know just sitting on a stage or indeed standing haven't even worked that out just you know doing what we do we could do like a backstreet boys key change where we like mostly sat down and then we just like you raise me up and stand that might be fun we might we might do that we are also going to have some guests on stage with us it's going to be really fun but we are a bit scared that we might end up doing this to an empty room oh i think people will be there in their hordes no yeah so anyway please come along and support us for this there is a special discount code you can get so if you buy a ticket you get a ticket for the whole day to see everything from us doing our amazing backstreet boys act to the incredible us podcast another round yes uh, the gadget podcast how to kill an hour there's loads of different stuff going on i so want to go see another round yeah me too uh so if you go to seriouslypod.com forward slash shout out that'll take you straight to the ticket buying website and i believe if you type in s-r-s-l-y and then the number five in the promo code box you get some money off wicked so that sounds amazing and we hope to see you there i'll be there anyway so all of you we'll see you all there yeah, right every single one <laughs> yes 
on with the show that was called that we had a lot of life admins yeah we did <laughs> yeah lo- lots of uh, updates but anyway also we've watched some stuff this week so the first thing we're going to talk about this week is baby driver which is the new film from director edgar wright who you'll remember from things like hot fuzz and scott pilgrim versus the world it stars Ansel Elgort, who you might remember as like the fit one from Fault in Our Stars, who also has a pop music career, as Baby, who is a getaway driver for bank robberies and other such heists and hijinks, who listens to music to soundtrack all of his exploits. So there's a lot of music in this film. So you're just starting your day, or did you just get off? They call, I go, you know. So what is it you do? I'm a driver. Oh, like a chauffeur. Anyone I'd know? I hope not. What is your name? Baby. Your name's Baby. B-A-B-Y Baby. Yeah, it's a love letter to music and listening to music, really. Yeah. And I remember from my Whisper It, Mighty Boosh-obsessed teenage years, a music video that Edgar Wright directed starring Noel Fielding. It was called Blue Song by Mint Royale. And it is really very similar to that opening scene of Baby Driver. And Edgar Wright said he's wanted to make this movie for ages and ages, but when he was asked to do this music video and he was kind of short on ideas, he was like, oh, we'll like do this this thing that I always imagined mm-hmm. being the opening scene for this sort of music slash getaway driving movie. Um, and it really is so similar. So that's quite worth a Google if you want to just like check out, you know, how the, the idea is developed over time. But basically what you end up with is almost like a really, really long music video. Yeah, essentially, because so much of it is soundtracked by what Baby is listening to. And and we learn in the film that because he was in a car accident when he was young, he still has persistent tinnitus. And so part of the reason why he listens to music nonstop, iPod headphones in at all times, is to, you know, drown out his hearing problem. His foster dad is deaf and he communicates with him via sign language. So he, you know, hearing and listening are a very important thing to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And so, yeah, this opening scene is literally him sat in the car waiting for some other people that he's on a job with to rob a bank. Is it a bank in the first? I think it's a bank, yeah. And then drive the car away. And you see him sort of press play on his like nice vintage classic iPod to a song. And then the whole scene is like choreographed very, very specifically to that, that song and the beats in the music. So, you know, you see people hitting other people to time with the beat Mm. when the driving really kicks in after they all jump back in the car everything that happens has a little nod to the music and i feel like that's something you do see in other edgar wright films like i think about that don't stop me now bit in Shaun of the dead where they're all like hitting the zombie (laughs) with like snooker cues in the pub and scott pilgrim is very like that isn't it that's the first scene where he fights while he's at the front of the band those three films that get called the cornetto trilogy Mm. uh, which is Shaun of the dead hot fuzz and world's end Mm. all have something that i think is indelibly edgar wright which is whenever anyone gets in a car the sound of door slam seatbelt fastened engine start Mm. always happens to whatever background music is playing Mm -hmm. absolutely Um, and it's just a, you know, particularly in Hot Fuzz because they get in and out of the police car a lot. That 
it's almost a meme. It happens constantly. So yeah, and I feel like Edgar Wright has now made an entire film that is that. Yeah, and one thing that interests me about this is apparently this was not all done in post. This was something that they mm. did on the shoot. They would like have the song playing. People would have like earphones in, synchronized earphones that were all playing the song at the same time. And the camera movements were all very, very deliberately coordinated because apparently it's cheaper that way. But it right. also sounds so much more difficult. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to tell, but you, that it does pay off because everything's so slick in those shots. And then I think my favorite scene maybe in the whole movie is actually not one that's in a car. I'm not that into cars. I enjoyed this film regardless. But when we have a long scene straight after that kind of opening heist where Baby goes to get coffee... Yes. And he's all he's doing yeah. is walking down the street, going to the coffee shop and walking back. But everything is so choreographed to the song he's listening to, which is Bob and Earl's Harlem Shuffle, which is that trumpet bit used at the beginning of Jump Around, like, beep, 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 before the like song kicks in. So you kind of think that they're gonna, it's going to be that song and then it's a different song. But all the stuff that's going on, like, I don't know, someone presses a lift button or there's a woman getting her cash out of the ATM and it's like beep, 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 like to the tune of the song. When Baby's ordering his coffee, he's even saying like, yeah, 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 to mm. like the yeah, yeah, yeahs in the song. And I think there's even like graffiti in the background and street signs that seem to be like copying the lyrics. And that for me was so like, oh my God, that's what my life feels like when, I've, when I'm listening to music that I'm really into in my headphones. And I really like that he kind of ran with that fantasy, which is basically what he's doing throughout the whole movie. But that was my favourite exploration of it. Yeah, it's a really clever way of giving you an inside perspective on the outside, right? Because mm -hmm. it's trying to show you what baby's world looks like. Mm. As someone who listens to music constantly or has headphones in at all times, he lives part in the world and part inside his ipod incidentally i do want to just shout out to a friend of the podcast laura snapes who did a great tweet after she went to see this film which said amazing cameo by an ipod classic in the yeah film. there's loads of really nice ipods in it i like the one that he's got like yeah he's got like a diamante pink one there's i don't know i feel like it's now such a thing that if you're a music lover you have a, a proper ipod mm. like all the like people i know who write about music full-time have proper ipods and now i'm like oh yeah i should have one <laughs> even more so since apple stopped making the proper yeah iPod. exactly the the oldest classic yeah the the proper ipod one thing that i really like about this movie which i think if you started interrogating it loads could probably fall down i don't know i feel like you could pick apart the fact that you can see kind of the mechanics of the film going on on the surface, or you could pick apart the kind of racial politics or mm. the gender politics, which I think are quite, quite rubbish in this film. Oh yeah. If you look for it. But I think it was so fun and silly that I really didn't like want to do that. I was just like carried along by its rhythms and its movements so much that I didn't particularly care that I was like, this is probably not that substantial a film beneath all the kind of like tricks and, and jumps and stuff. No, it's not at all. But in that way, I thought it's it's the perfect summer movie, far more than any of the blockbusters that will get called that. Definitely. Because you've got some some really great comedy performances from people like John Hamm, Jamie Foxx, Lily James. And it's that really clever kind of comedy that is both threatening because all these people, with the exception of Lily James, play, you know, various criminals who are all a bigger or smaller danger to Baby and mm. his eventual safety. But they're also very individual and very carefully painted, even though they maybe don't get that many lines or that much screen time. Mm. And also really funny. Yeah. 
And it really made me think that one of the things that's so great about Edgar Wright is he does all of his movies, I feel like, a literally a boyish fantasy mm. where it's been like, what if I was in this position? So like Shaun of the Dead, what if I, a normal bloke, was present at a zombie apocalypse? Hot first, like what if I, a normal bloke who likes watching cop movies, was an actual cop in like a normal part of Britain? Scott Pilgrim versus the world, even, you know, like what if I could like do all this stuff that's in comics that mm. I like to read? And this is like, what if I, music lover Edgar Wright, normal guy, <laughs> was like a getaway driver, right? And and so that's why I feel like I can't really hold that much against this because I think it's quite knowingly silly and childish, but in a way that's just kind of like winking and delightful. Yeah, and there's a really nice strain of cinematic nostalgia. There's lots and lots of references to Bonnie and Clyde mm. and that kind of thing. It's also got a really strong strain of like Americana and the American dream. So like diner scenes, my favorite stuff yeah, ever in movies. So many diner scenes. Uh, Lily James's character works in a diner. Mm. And then also the kind of shared romance with her and baby where you know, their their biggest dream is just to like head west with a car they <laughs> the can't road. afford and a plan that they don't have. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's very like, drive towards the sun. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. <laughs> the American dream and those little fantasies that he has where, you know, she's waiting with an amazing car, wearing a lovely dress. Like a the, 50s. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the like moments where you're like, problematic sweep yeah. it away sweep it away <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you but you're right you can see how you know problematic yes but as a boyish fantasy probably real yeah uh, and it's just really good fun 
now we're going to talk about Okja, which is a new Netflix feature film from director Bong Joon-ho, with a screenplay by the director and John Ronson. It's all about a super pig called Okja, super pig being a new genetic strain of animal that's been created by the Mirando Corporation, headed up by Tilda Swinton as Lucy Mirando, a company which claims to be solving the world's food and farming and environmental problems by creating this new species. And the film focuses on the relationship between a young farm girl called Mija who takes care of Okja and tries to protect her after it all goes south. We needed a miracle. And then we got one. This beautiful and special little creature will be a revolution in the livestock industry. Our super pigs will not only be big and beautiful, they will also leave a minimal footprint on the environment, consume less feed, and produce less excretions. And most importantly, they need to taste fucking good. So it's this funny combination, really, isn't it? Because we start off in this like kind of rural Korean, lovely like children's idyllic movie where it's like young girl plays with lovely super pig. Super pig saves her life, and you know it's just all the kind of tropes that you'd expect from like a Free Willy or a Babe mm. or like those kinds of movies. And it's so beautiful. So many lovely waterfalls and like beautiful super pig is a bit like a giant hippo yeah i'd say hippo yeah. is the definitely the closest animal lots of like nuzzling and splashing in water oh it's so lovely and i love it when they like spoon mm. it's like bedtime and then you just see media like creep into, <laughs> into <laughs> octa's like big hoof and then basically jake gyllenhaal turns up doesn't he yeah as this kind of slightly deranged celebrity animal person yeah kind of like, a, like a doctor or a vet yeah i think a vet but i'm not sure he's kind of like a steve Irwin style figure yeah. right and then he sort of comes in with this absolutely bizarre performance but we'll get maybe we'll get to that later and it's because Mija has been looking after Okja for 10 years and it's now time for the super pig to go back to the Mirando Corporation headquarters in New York and enter a competition. And the aim is that they'll use these 10 super pigs that they gave to loads of different farmers in different areas of the globe to kind of show off how beautiful their super pig creation is, even if it's not very representative of, you know, the majority of the super pig farming going on. So then Okja gets taken away from Mija. And me just starts trying to get her back. And yeah. that's the, the tension of the film. And that's when it becomes, for me, a totally different genre and kind of film. Yeah, then it becomes almost a sort of heist film mm. with a strong strain of activism and like underground resistance. Yeah, it's like satirical almost. It mm. becomes like a, a, a jab at, I would say, like corporations that use kind of like ethical cloaks to kind of sell themselves and hide what they're really up to. Yes, definitely, because what Lucy Mirando claims she's doing is, you know, solving world hunger with incredibly cruel and unhumane farming. Yeah, exactly. And that's the bit that's, that gets me, because there's another strain in this, which is just like very, very anti-GM food. Mm, right? Yes. So it's kind of like simultaneously against like the meat industrial complex that's so, you know, obviously terrible in its treatment of animals i'm a vegetarian just disclaimer but <laughs> it is grim it seems like the director's very critical of gm food in general which i'm a bit more like mm, i don't know that much about this and i don't know if i think it's that bad but 
I will probably have to do some research and find that out. But I thought that those bits were the strongest bits, even if they were the least, like the kind of cuddly kids movie I thought I was meant to be watching. Because some of the lines, the dialogue I found really funny in the kind of like Mirando headquarters when they're at like crisis point and they're yes. trying to manage the situation, which is basically that Okja is captured by media and a group of like vigilante vegetarian activists who are like anti the super pig industry and they like capture her while she's in transport and set her loose in a big korean underground shopping mall and it's like all over all the news and it's really embarrassing for the Miranda corporation so then they have to try and like manage that situation and i found those scenes just incredibly funny yeah when they're yeah when they're doing like corporate speak about a giant hippo and you know there are some really clever bits like when you watch them all watching the news footage of Okja like running around this mall in Seoul. The shot is exactly like the Osama bin Laden capturing <laughs> yeah, when photo. They're all what's standing. it called? Situation room or where they're like all gathered around yeah. the screens. They're all doing the exact same expressions. You know they've positioned people quite cleverly. And then it goes on to you know Lucy just raging about how what a great job she's done. I love the bits where she's like, Slate said that these were the cutest pigs ever, but that they still wanted to eat them. These are journalists that never write about pigs. <laughs> they never write about pigs. <laughs> and it was just literally making me cry with laughter. So I thought that was re- like, yeah, really successful parts of the movie. I thought Tilda Swinton was really good in this. Oh, she's always great. She's always she? great. And yeah, her kind of deranged, evil corporate monomaniac yeah. is really excellent. Should we come back to Jake Gyllenhaal? He, I feel like maybe thought he was in a different film because <laughs> i quite like that first scene where he comes to Mija's home in rural korea and like has climbed up a absolutely mm, massive yeah. mountain and is completely sweaty and tired and a bit manic and you know filming one second and like hugging the girl another second and just all over the place but then it get, becomes darker and darker as he's revealed to be like a potentially violent alcoholic and yeah. then those scenes are just like way wilder than i was expecting and I was a bit like, someone surely should have been like, tone it down, Jake. But it's obviously what they wanted, I guess. Yeah, that you're right. And actually that highlights something that I found generally about this film, which is that it it pulls in different directions. It mm-hmm. has It's a fusion of genres, and I'm not sure that that always works out. Yeah, I think that's meant to be a trademark of mm. the director's style. But having not really seen any of his other movies, I couldn't comment. But I know what you mean. And sometimes I was like, that's... I actually love this weird whiplash I'm getting where I'm like, oh, look at the pig, lol, loving these jokes about Salon and Slate and whatever. But at other times, like the final 20 minutes are so gruesome when Mm. you actually make your way into the abattoir where these super pigs are being slaughtered. Suddenly you're like, whoa, I feel like I'm watching, you know, like a documentary on Netflix about why the meat industry is so terrible and I wasn't really prepared for that going in. Yeah, and you wrote a piece about this, about how this film fits into two of Netflix's preferred genres, Mm -hmm. both the sort of cuddly animal film and the, you know, exposing documentary about animal rights. Yeah. Things like Blackfish and so on. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, that was... After I'd watched it, I read your piece and I was like, this is... you're, You're really spot on here that... If you were going to be uncharitable, you might say Netflix is like milking the numbers. <laughs> milking the super pig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the cash super pig. Yeah. I think there's two things that I realized about Netflix fairly recently, which is one that they just have like a huge number of horse movies. <laughs> yes. If you like horses, you can find all the horse movies and TV shows you want on Netflix. 
And B, that like every kind of like self-professed educated person I know would be like, you have to watch this documentary on Netflix. Mm. And they've got a real thing in that too. So it was quite controversial that this film was going to be released on Netflix because it premiered at Cannes and Cannes have never had a, you know, a streaming service first movie at their festival. It was booed when it premiered at Cannes. I think A, because there was a technical problem, but B, because people were like, we don't like that you know we like supporting cinemas and films being released in cinemas and i think isabelle Huppert made the, the opening address at Cannes, and she was like netflix and everyone was like yeah boo boo netflix so it's been pretty controversial but i'm like oh it seems like the perfect place for this film is netflix because it does you know blend these trends and not everyone can afford to go to the cinema all the time and netflix is cheap and I also love going to the cinema and I do want to support theatres, but sometimes it slips into snobbery for me, that debate. I automatically just side with, you know, the side being booed in things like this. <laughs> for me, it felt a lot like when, you know, Martin Freeman did Richard III and theatre critics were all like, who are these people in the theatre who, <laughs> like, who like him off Sherlock? How yeah. dare they clap when he comes on the stage? Boo, yeah. hiss. That is one of your absolute pet hates. That is one of my absolute pet hates. And yeah, kind of being like, Netflix, how dare you turn up, spend loads of money on movies and then expect us to, you know, treat them critically as we would the ones that you can't see on your laptop. Mm. Um, I, yeah, that just really riles me. But yeah, I would actually recommend it as long as you are prepared for what you're going in for. It's not like a horror movie. It's not. It's nothing too terrible. But if you're not expecting it, it can be a bit of a jump, right? Yeah, it actually made me think about when I was at school, maybe 13, 14, and we watched a documentary about battery farming, oh, in, maybe in science. And um, by the end of the day, everyone in my class declared themselves to be a vegetarian and a couple of people had had to go to the nurse's office having hysterics mm, yeah no not for me i won't be watching so that. it's not anywhere near as bad as that no but yeah it does definitely make you think about these things which is a good thing So last week we agreed to watch Happy Valley after countless recommendations and just generally feeling so behind and out of the loop. So the first season of this BBC show is on Netflix in the UK. I don't know about the US, it might be. And so we watched it there. Caroline, immediate thoughts. My immediate thoughts are, why didn't I listen to everybody and watch this years ago i know how much did you watch i watched all of the first episode and then about half of the second one and only stopped reluctantly when i had to come here to do this yeah i watched two and i i'm like huh, huh, need another it's obviously just like a really suspenseful plot so it's about Catherine, who is a police officer and she she's had a difficult life she lives with her sister who's a recovering heroin addict and her grandson because her daughter died and that's kind of a situation that you you hear more about as the first episode unfolds and then there's this sort of mysterious guy who's been released from prison and we know he's done something terrible that that in Catherine's life but we don't really know what exactly and at the same time there's this plot evolving about a man who's unhappy in his job um feeling very downtrodden and 
needs more money and his boss refuses to give it to him and makes the very ill-informed decision to maybe kidnap his boss's daughter or get other people to kidnap his boss's daughter. Come through to me office and you can start at the beginning. I'm Catherine, by the way. I'm 47. I'm divorced. I live with my sister, who's a recovering heroin addict. I have two grown-up children, one dead, one who doesn't speak to me, and a grandson. Dawkins Beat Bump City, where the only thing that's pretty is the thought of getting out. It's a bit mad, isn't it? The date with your ex-husband. You're getting too old for this, Catherine, love. How would you like to make half a million pounds? You're talking about kidnapping. I've got to ring the police. You left abruptly. Everything... All right. Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot going on, but the threads do quite quickly all come together and you start to see, a, a you know, the, a bigger picture forming. But it's just so suspenseful. It's so suspenseful. It's so cleverly written and the characters are so well drawn, particularly Catherine. Even yeah. in the first episode, you're like, I know you and I root for you and I want good things for you. It's an amazing performance, isn't it? Yeah, Sarah Lancashire actually won a BAFTA this year for it. Good. So it's written by Sally Wainwright, who also wrote Last Tango in Halifax and lots of other things, some of which Sarah Lancashire has been in. So they are a, a seasoned like writer-actor team. Yeah. So it's not that surprising, maybe, that it works so well. Mm. Also, we should say where it's set. It's set in Calderdale, in the Calder Valley in West Yorkshire. Mm. So you've got this backdrop of amazing hills and terraced houses mm. and all this kind of thing but also what Sally Wainwright does so well is she never falls into the sort of northern cliches in that everyone you meet has an interesting individual story and no one's like a type yeah and it's interesting the way she kind of weaves social issues into mm. the drama it never feels too heavy but you know for example that there are really big drug problems in that area and how that kind of feeds into the lives of so many characters, even if it's not directly, is really, really interesting. One thing I really like about the characterization, though, as you say, is that when she writes, she manages to make people do things and you just get a sense of their bigger character without anyone having to say, like, oh, him, he's a bit like this, isn't he? You know, yeah. there's, no, there's very minimal exposition, but, for example, the James Norton character, yeah. who is one of our favourite actors misogyny just drips into everything he does yeah and there's no point where he has to be like oh, i just think women are sluts <laughs> do you know what i mean but you see it in absolutely everything he, like he lights a cigarette and you see it and you're like wow i can't believe you managed to just like weave a bit of misogyny into that cigarette being lit and sometimes it you know it, it just never feels super heavy-handed and i really like that about her writing but one thing that's just so good about it as well is the way that the plot is structured sometimes when i watch things like this and the plot is so good i'm like oh oh how did you do that i just could never do that the thing with this first episode is that you see all these bad decisions being made and things happen as a result that are really give you that feeling of like oh why did you do that why why did you do that and it's so frustrating but kind of also really satisfying yeah i think what sally winner is really good is giving uh, giving events that feeling of inexorable motion mm, exactly a momentum all of their own there's nothing that the characters or you the viewer can do to stop it and i think that's something and actually i've heard her say this that it's it's a craft that she honed when she was a staff writer on coronation street because wow. what is a soap plot line if not a kind of deus ex machina movement of characters mm. towards 
you know, tragic ends at all times, ongoing forever. It runs for decades. Yes, that's you know? so true. And it does feel like there's, I mean, I we haven't watched the end of the first season, but it does feel like there's a, just a terrible tragedy on the horizon. So the a problem I'm having with this is that I've actually seen isolated scenes from Happy Valley at a talk Sally Wainwright gave at BAFTA oh my a couple God, of years ago. Do not spoil me right now, Caroline. No, well, the thing is, I don't know where they go or what they are. But they made such an impact on me that like two years later, I can remember all of these clips in vivid detail because she illustrated her talk with particular examples from her work. And yeah, there's there's one really horrific scene that she showed there. I don't want to know what it is. And I'm like, I, I don't know when or how this fits in oh. or indeed if it's even in the first series, maybe it's in the second series, but I know it has to come in somewhere and I'm terrified. Oh my God. Well... I literally am loving it and I feel like I just haven't got far enough through it to to like do proper thoughts so maybe we'll think about talking about Happy Valley again which is something we've said quite a lot recently but it is something we're keen on doing is doing a revisit episode at some point. Yeah that's true actually maybe when we're on holiday in August mm. that would be a good idea so mm. this would be a good moment if there is anything that we've talked about recently where you've watched all the way to the end and you're like I really want them to know what they thought about the ending this is the point at which to email us while we're planning that episode, so do that. Mm. So for next time, we're going to do something slightly different, which is that we are, after we finish recording this, off to see a play, which has been recommended by an avid Seriously listener who is actually part of the team for the play, which is how we come to be going. The play is the Royal Shakespeare Company's Queen Anne, starring Romola Garay, and it's all about the kind of the like, late 17th century, 18th century court drama and uh, the women at the court at the time. I feel like this is the kind of thing that you know about. I don't know anything about this, but I'm quite <laughs> excited to just go in with like an ignorant, empty shell of a brain and just have it filled by this performance. Yeah, well, I'm quite excited about this because it's a period hi of history that doesn't really... Like, I, we don't get taught it at school. Like It's mm. not like the Tudors. It's not really on the syllabus and so as such I feel like there are fewer historical novels and dramas based around it yeah. so yeah I'm really excited that they've done this and particularly that they focused on the women involved because although Queen Anne was like Queen of Britain for quite a long time <laughs> we never hear about her never literally never so yeah we're going to see a play about her and we'll report back next week Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including Apple Podcast, where you could also leave us a review if you'd like. We've got lots of events coming up this summer, including festivals, live episodes and quizzes. Find out more and buy tickets at seriouslypod.com slash events. We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're Seriously Pod on all of them. We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or just hearing your thoughts on what we've discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? 
elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.